Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, August 24th starts now. On today's show, 35th Ward Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa makes his return to the Ben Jarofsky show. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and a whole lot more. You want to check it out. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, he's there too. Just head to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this MAGA Debate Thursday, and here's why. Because MAGA held a debate last night in in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, ladies and gentlemen. I actually watched it. Yes, my confession, I watched it. This will not be the topic of my conversation with Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa. We're going to talk about Brandon Johnson's first 100 days. Carlos, of course, is Mayor Johnson's floor leader. But anyway, I just want to convey the reality. I watched it. It's much in the news. Uh, and uh, there was a mo- there's so many moments that were so bizarre, twisted, strange, and indicative of where we are as a civilization in this country right now. The climate change question, where they didn't they w- they were so afraid of MAGA that they wouldn't acknowledge man's contra- contribution to the destruction of the planet, which is happening as we speak, with temperatures like closing in on 116 degrees here in the city of Chicago. And we've had it pretty easy this summer, as opposed to like the rest of the world. So they're so chicken of MAGA. They won't concede that uh, we're about the man is about to destroy the world. Uh, but there was that moment, that moment, that bizarre moment where the uh, the Fox TV uh, questionnaires asked them, raise your hand. Will you support Donald Trump uh, if he is uh, indicted? Excuse me, if he's convicted in any of uh, the four indictments he's facing right now, including the one in Atlanta where he's going to have an arraignment today. and Oh, my God, the cowardice of these guys. I make fun of, Carlos knows this, I make fun of the Chicago City Council have for years, going back to the 80s, about how they're rubber stampers and how they do whatever the powerful mayors want, unless it's a black guy, then they're not such rubber stampers. Uh, but uh, my goodness, the aldermen of the Chicago City Council, even during the days of Daly and Rom, are like profiles and courage compared to those clowns on stage in Milwaukee. Carlos, I don't know if you were watching the debate. You probably had better things to do. Of course, I'm an obsessive political junkie, so I was watching. And they asked that question, will you support him? And they're all kind of, like two of them, uh, Ramaswamy, who is the biggest, what a weirdo that guy is. But anyway, put him to the side, immediately raised his hand because he's running to be the uh, running mate, as you uh, as you know. And then uh, Tim Scott raised his hand and Nikki Haley raised her hand. And then you see Ron DeSantis, like looking out to his left, looking to his right. Is everybody else raising their hand? Well, maybe I better raise my hand. Then Chris Christie, whose only purpose in the race is to be the guy denouncing Trump, Probably to set up his career in the media. You know what I'm saying? So I'm the one that I denounced Trump. You can't say I'm just a MAGA uh, uh, robot. That guy, like, didn't raise his hand, but raised his hand. It was like John Kerry. I was for it before I was against it. He he raised his hand, but he said, I wasn't raising my hand as to say yes. I was raising my hand so you would call on me. I'm like, yeah, come on, Christy. <laughs> that is a trip. So some people watch it would think he raised his hand. 
anyway, enough on the uh, debate last night. We take the deep dive with David Ferris this Saturday. Uh, that show will drop on Saturday, so you can all you hear that. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, so I guess, as I say, 35th Ward Alderman, floor leader for Brandon Johnson. Carlos, before we take the deep dive of Brandon, did you watch the debate last night? I did not. I did not. I heard some recaps this morning on the news. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's like he, Trump pulled a classic uh, play from the Daily Playbook, which is when you are going to win and when you are in the lead, you don't go debate a bunch of schmokes. That was what Daily would do uh, for many, many a race. Um, and uh, yeah, so. Um, why am I going to watch a bunch of guys that push come to shove are likely not going to be the presidential nominee? I will uh, push back before we get to Brandon Johnson. I I believe that Donald Trump wanted to be on that stage. Uh, Donald Trump is different than Daly and that Donald Trump loves the spotlight. Donald Trump mm. loved nothing more than to go on that stage and make fun of all those people there and just in, in bask in the adoration of that MAGA crowd. But I am positive that some lawyer or lawyers told him do not go on that stage you'll say something that could be used against you in a court of law you're facing four one two three four criminal indictments in four different venues you're about to be arraigned in atlanta with your fingerprints and your mugshot. don't go on that stage so uh that's my interpretation i mean yeah i'm honestly it's it's probably a combination of the both yeah. But but I also think that Trump is so egotistical that I'm sure he's incensed that any one of those Republicans there would dare run against him. So I'm sure he's just like, F all these guys, how freaking dare they? So I think it's a combination of both. You know, at the end, Trump is one of those people that like he's he's not that complex, but, you know, there's some complexity there, too. So I, I think there was a multiplicity of reasons that, you know, both attracted him to that stage and kept him from that stage. But I, you're absolutely right. It's probably his desire to save his ass in the courtroom where the lawyer said, don't go on that stage. And he said, all right, if that's the smartest thing I can do in this moment, I won't. Yeah. All right. Let's get to uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson. He will be a guest of Maya and mine at the Promontory Nightclub in Hyde Park on September 4th. Uh, yes, it'll be a, a wonderful night, I hope. Uh, and we'll be discussing his first 100 days in office. That's become sir, sort of the benchmark, 100 days. Uh, everybody has done a Brandon Johnson interview uh, on the first 100 days, and uh, written articles about it. Um, so uh, I will start with the chief uh, criticism against Brandon Johnson, uh, which is a bizarre criticism to make because it's coming from people who like don't want him to do the things he campaigned to say he was going to do, which is really weird. I don't know, man. Cranes, Tribune, Sun Times, look at a mirror. Doesn't make any sense. You didn't want him to do any of the things he said he was going to do. Now you're complaining. He hasn't done anything. <laughs> you should be saying, oh, thank God. Now, just a little consistency there, okay? I can see me complaining. I'm a lefty. But you guys, you for Vallis. Anyway, Carlos, do you think Brandon Johnson uh, has had a successful first 100 days and has accomplished the things he set out to accomplish? Go. Absolutely. I think Mayor Brandon Johnson has a successful first 100 days. And I can say that from a position of authority because I've been there uh, watching every single move in City Hall. I think the mandate that Mayor Johnson has is to bring the people into City Hall and to bring movement into City Hall. And so that means growing pains. There are city officials that never before have had to meet with grassroots leaders, that never before have had to meet with scrappy activists who normally are the ones getting arrested on the first floor of City Hall and never make their way up to the second, third or fourth, let alone the fifth floor to be heard by anyone. The doors have been open to City Hall and there have been so many meetings with top city officials to talk about how we write the ship and how we create a Chicago that truly belongs to the people. And so I think that's something that the corporate media and even people who have covered progressive politics for a very long time don't quite grasp, right? This is a new way of relating to the grassroots. This is a new way of relating to communities. The fifth floor has never done this before, certainly not in the past three decades. I'm sure there was some element of what we call co-governance present at City Hall under Mayor Harold Washington. But this is the first time that it's happened in such a big, meaningful way. And co-governance means 
more voices, more people at the table. And what that ultimately means is that it's gonna take a longer period of time to figure some things out. So earlier this week, we announced uh, the agreement that had been reached with the Bring Chicago Home Coalition to create a three-tiered graduated progressive real estate transfer tax to generate a dedicated source of revenue to deal with the crisis of homelessness in our communities. It took a very long time to get there. It took us 100 days to get there, but it was worth taking that time to get it right and to answer all the questions that all the activists had, to think through all of the different things that had to be taken into consideration and to get to a proposal that could have the mayor support, the coalition support, and we could all be proud to go out there and say, this is what we're supporting together. So having been involved in that work throughout the past hundred days, I can tell you that while it took us longer than maybe the Chicago Tribune would have liked, although to your point, Ben, what the heck are they doing? They're angry. When have they ever, uh, you know, criticized progressives for being super thoughtful and taking their time to think things through? But um, but having been, you know, um, uh, in the vehicle as it's driving down the road, I can tell you there's a lot of work that's been happening behind the scenes uh, and it's getting us to a really good place. And not just behind the scenes, but also out in the public. And we have been able to see the impact that this administration has had in moving Chicago in a more progressive direction uh, that is really in the benefit of all Chicagoans. So when will that uh, particular, we'll talk about the, uh, the the real estate tax, when will that come to the city council for a vote? So it will be introduced September 13th, and the hope, the goal uh, is to pass it uh, in the first week of October. Um, and we've had uh, aldermanic briefings uh, to talk about uh, the most recent updated version of this proposal. And those briefings have been going extremely well. Uh, it, it really does pay off to have a progressive mayor and it really does pay off to have a team of people around that mayor working hand in hand with a grassroots coalition to figure out what uh, the best, smartest version of this proposal can look like. So when all is said and done, uh, we expect this to pass with flying colors uh, in the very near future this fall. And it will be a referendum, correct? Yes. So legally, the only way the city of Chicago can raise the real estate transfer tax is by asking voters for the authority to do so. At the start of this term, our mayor was down in Springfield. There were some conversations held uh, with uh, our leaders uh, down in our state capital around would they raise the real estate transfer tax for us or give us the authority to do so? And they said, no, really not on our list of things to do right now. We're working on a lot of other good stuff. Um, and so that really presented the coalition and this administration with the only other path that we had, which was putting a referendum on the ballot. But when we put that referendum on the ballot, we have to explicitly lay out the manner in which we're going to pass uh, the real estate transfer tax. Uh, changes. And so the language of the referendum really does matter. You can't just say, can we raise the real estate transfer tax? You actually have to lay it out in a very specific way. Um, and so we've now got into an agreement that has the support of a majority of the council, that has the support of the coalition, and that has the support of the mayor. And so when it's when will it be on the ballot? Presuming you get the votes in October. So uh, it will be on the ballot in March of 2024. In the primary, got it. Uh, there'll be a primary in March 2024. So I'm uh, on the outside. I'm not part of uh, the conversations. I'm not there in City Hall. I'm not a fly on a wall uh, listening or watching. Uh, my guess is that part of the time has been spent not just um, writing uh, and drafting the uh, resolution or the referendum question, but in bringing over people to support it, not just uh, lefties who come on the Ben Jarofsky show, but moderates, centrists, et cetera, and so forth. When I read the media coverage uh, of the proposal, I, I didn't see any moderates or centrists who uh, supported it. Your good friend, Brian Hopkins, I, I cannot even get the inconsistency of this man. Uh, I just have to move on. The inconsistency of this man, he took out that huge $1.3 billion TIF uh, money handout for Lincoln Yards, and now he's crying about uh, that the impact on on uh, people by uh, this tax. I'm like, hey, did you think about the impact the taxpayers with that one point three billion dollar handout? Sorry about that. Uh, didn't mean to go on that. Uh, I didn't mean to go on that tangent, Carlos. Uh, but he said he was he was he was. He, I think he's against it, according to the article I read in the Sun Times. So, do you have any centrists who've joined it? 
are there any well, uh, specific, people specific, specifically what he said was because um, I, I did read that article. He said, you can't just say that the funding is going to homeless and expect that to be enough. And I agree with him. And in this case, what we have done is uh, we have laid out a very clear spending plan uh, that has been informed by the coalition um, and that will uh, ensure that we are solving the crisis of homelessness by getting people into permanent supportive housing. Um, now, when he spoke to the press, he spoke to them before he had attended his aldermanic briefing. Um, so I don't knock him for having questions about exactly how this is uh, going to be spent. Look, you get to ask questions. Um, and sometimes you get to ask those questions in public. Um, I'm not going to be angry at anyone for, uh, you know, asking a question in terms of, you know, where is this money going to? The reality is that we have uh, a strong answer for that question. It's going to permanent supportive housing. It's going towards, uh, you know, rental assistance. It's going towards all of the strategies that we as a city and that experts that work on the issue of homelessness already know. Get people off the street and get people into homes, get people that are doubled up, get our homeless youth, 17,000 of them in the city of Chicago, into permanent supportive housing. Um, we know how to address the crisis of homelessness. Uh, we just need more resources to get it done. Um, so I'm not going to fault anyone for asking questions. Uh, that is uh, what is necessary and important in a democracy. Yes. And you notice how he did that, ladies and gentlemen? This is a new Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Back in the old days, he would have been, oh, hell yeah, Ben, blah, blah, blah. But this is new. You got to bring people on. Okay. Now, we did the riff. You probably saw it uh, about, and we had the conversation about Brandon meeting with Rom uh, early on, which I don't object to a meeting with Rom. That might be an entertaining meeting. You know, to deal with Rom and his little antics, we objected. I objected to the um, that tweet he put out where he thanked Rom for his continued leadership, which was, I think even Brandon wishes he didn't put that. Mayor Johnson probably wishes that that thing wasn't put out because that is revolting. Because the entire movement that elected him uh, stemmed from the horrific leadership of. Mayor Rahm. But my point is what so many people told me, Carlos, in the aftermath was then you have to understand we're not just talking to ourselves anymore. We've moved into the fifth floor and we're working with people who don't automatically agree with us. And so we have to bring people into our coalition. We 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 don't we may not even have the votes to do it on our own just by the people who are already here. So we have to maybe bring in a Brian Hopkins. Uh, to vote with us or bring in a Timmy Knutson to vote for us. I don't know, other, uh, Michelle, other uh, aldermen who may go that way. And uh, so is that sort of the attitude that you have now as the floor leader? You, you know, when I came into my little itty bitty seat as alder person, the 35th ward, one of the first things that I did was meet with people that did not support me. One of the first things that I did was meet with people that I absolutely disagreed with, that had I not been in this position, I would be out there protesting them and yelling at them. But once you come into a position where you have to deliver for your community and you have a mandate to get things done to improve people's lives, you owe it to that cause to sit down with people and hear them out, even if you don't agree with them, even if they've caused harm in our communities, to try and figure out, is there a path forward together? And sometimes there's not a path forward together. And if that's the case, then you're gonna marshal all the forces that you have to get it done and deliver. And I think that, you know, uh, this is something that our movement is not uh, afraid to do, right? Like we will, we will go to the mat and we will fight like hell. That's exactly how we got here. That's exactly how we've delivered the wins that we've been able to deliver, even when we've been swimming against uh, the stream uh, at City Hall. But we owe it to our movement. We owe it to our city to sit down and have those conversations and hear people out. And so I am not angry whatsoever at our mayor for meeting with uh, uh, the former mayor, Rahm Emanuel. That's exactly what you do when you're the mayor of the city of Chicago. Um, and I think in this instance, you know, the former mayor reached out and said, hey, I'll be in town. I'd like to sit down with you. And they sat down over the weekend and the mayor tweeted out a picture. And that was that, you know, they're not hugging each other and saying, oh, you know, uh, closing the mental health clinics was the right thing to do. And, oh, you know what, Rom, you were totally right about closing those 50 schools. No, he is uh, providing a courtesy to the former mayor. He's doing exactly what he should be doing as the mayor. 
meeting with the former mayor that may have some perspective, may have some advice to offer. And in addition to that, uh, you know, look, Ram is out in, in Japan right now. He may be able to provide the city with some connections and some resources that may be able to help us out in some other ways. So yeah. I'm, I'm not angry. All right. <laughs> I, 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 I always like to let my guests get the last word, but Rob's coming back. I got news for you, Carlos. If you think he's staying what? in Japan. Was he going to I figure he already got the word that Durbin's not running for re-election. And he's all, all these interviews, meeting with Mayor uh, Johnson, somehow or other talking that comms team into saying what a great leader he was. This is all part of uh, this interview we did with Freakonomics. Get ready, ladies and gentlemen, Senator Rahm Emanuel. Okay. I mean, if, if you're a politician that had to step aside from the public limelight for whatever reason it is, I guess hope springs eternal that one day you'll, you'll have your comeback. And so, you know, that that's what he wants to focus on. God bless him. I'm focusing on making sure that we're addressing the crisis of homelessness, that we're providing people in our communities, particularly the most vulnerable with the resources they need to thrive. All right. I want to apologize for getting Nicole Lee's first name wrong. I was thinking Michelle Smith. I was thinking of the 43rd Ward. I got the 11th Ward mixed up. So I humbly apologize, Nicole Lee. And uh, you are very disciplined, Carlos. You did not correct me uh, when I said that. But that's Nicole Lee. I was thinking of, she's like the, the kind of alderman that you might get to vote with the lefties on this, I think. I don't know. Do you have the votes? Are you confident as the, the mayor's chief vote counter that you got the votes you need in? October, because you know they're going to defer and publish you, so they're going to push it back. My good friend Raylo will probably defer and publish with Anthony Beal. So, with that, I mean, look, there are very few older people in the city of Chicago that have a ward where a home sells for more than a million dollars. This updated structure will cut the real estate transfer tax for ninety-six percent of sales. If you are someone that wants to support home buying in your district, you want to support working class and middle class families, you should get behind this proposal. One, that $500,000 home sale previously would have paid $3,750 in city real estate transfer tax. Under this proposal, they're only paying $3,000. And you might be thinking, well, well, that's not a lot of money. But when you're putting together that money for those closing costs and your first time home buyer, that can make you sweat sometimes, right? You're calling up your cousin, you're calling up your aunt, you're saying, hey, can you give me a thousand here, a thousand there? I got these closing costs and I'm trying to make this deal happen. So that is going to be a tremendous help to the people of the city of Chicago, to the vast majority of home buyers, uh, 96% of them. If you are someone that's purchasing a home between 1 million and 1.5, and this is why this is a compromise, this is why this proposal shows that this is an administration that listens. We heard from a number of aldermen that said, look, we think 1 million is too low. There are people in my community that are buying houses for 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, up to 1.5. So this updated proposal says if you're buying a home for 1.2 million, currently you would pay 9,000. Under this proposal, you're going to pay 10,000, just 1,000 more. Under the original proposal that was put forward under Mayor Lori Lightfoot, that $1.2 million home sale would have paid 22,800 in city real estate transfer tax. So that's a big compromise. That's a big reduction in the amount that that property. There were also people that said, well, we know that there's a lot of two, three, four flats, six, six flats that sell between one and 1.5. Again, we listened to people and we significantly brought down the amount that that tax would be on those properties. Now, where does the uh, real estate transfer tax fully kick in? This increase that is gonna get us the funds that we need, it kicks in at over 1.5 million. And that is only 4% of sales in the city of Chicago. Uh, it, is a, it is a very few number of people that are engaging in these transactions. And who's engaging in these transactions? Some of the richest people in the world. We're talking about large hedge funds. We're talking about multinational corporations. We're talking about people that have hundreds of millions of dollars in liquid assets or in property. They're the ones that are engaging in these sales. And if you've been paying attention to the numbers during this pandemic, they are richer. They are richer, Ben, than they've ever been before. So if you are an alderman that's worried about the middle class in your community, this solution is exactly what we need. It's going to get us the revenue that we need to then provide permanent supportive housing to people that are within 0% and 30% of the area medium income. So people that have either no income or a little bit of income, 
right? But not enough income to be able to afford a dignified home over their head. We're going to provide seniors with housing. We're going to provide working class people with housing. We are going to be able to help our people in our community by asking some of the richest people in the city to pay just a little bit more. And listen, we've already had a lot of developers tell us, I'm on board with this. And when push comes to shove, they're going to stand there with us. Now, there are some entities that you know are just not used to to losing and they represent some of the richest people in the world um and they're, they're still putting up some opposition but i'm confident that push comes to shove when all is said and done this is going to pass the sitting council with flying colors because of the work that this administration has already done and because of the work that this administration is going to continue to do okay i'm going to give a shout out to uh, the administration uh by contrasting it with the previous administration the excuse me two ones uh back uh, which might and what i'm about to say i hope it doesn't offend brandon johnson and uh, uh carlos because i'm about to criticize rahm emanuel again but no i in the old <laughs> days uh, rahm would cram the um referendum uh, the the ballot with meaningless referendums like, should I wear a red tie today or maybe should I wear a blue tie? What do you think, people of Chicago, in order to keep the people of Chicago from directly addressing things that are important to them, like an elected school board, for instance? So this is an issue that's been around for a long, long time. Uh, it means a lot to lefties, a lot to progressives. It's a progressive tax, which is what we say we're for. Fair tax. Remember that one, ladies and gentlemen? And uh, so you're going to give it you a, a real choice chicago so my attitude is don't pull a rom don't bury democracy you say you want democracy tribune crane sometimes you say you want it then have it you don't like the tax try to beat carlos at the polls I, i'm listening to that republican debate last night carlos every single one of those republicans said the, the proper venue to address Donald Trump is the ballot box, not the courthouse. <laughs> Man, this guy tried to engineer a coup. <laughs> Let the voters decide. So, okay. Let the voters decide. And you know what? It's going to be a fight, Carlos, because you know, just in general, they don't want to concede a progressive tax. You know that. You've been around long enough to know. Do you follow what I just told you? They no. do not want to concede a progressive tax. They're going to try to turn this thing into the – they're going to try to turn the people of Chicago against this like they, they try to turn people against the fair tax. If you remember that fight. And they failed spectacularly in the city of Chicago. Fair tax got over 71% of the vote in the city of Chicago. In the most working class, black wards, 80%, 83%, 84%. So the people of the city of Chicago are ready to vote for progressive taxation. They're ready to ask the rich to pay their fair share. And that's precisely why a lot of these uh, lobbying groups that represent some of the richest people in the globe, that's why they don't even want this to go to a vote. Yeah. They don't want this to go to a vote because they know it gets to the voters. The voters are going to say, wait, you're asking me? You're asking me to make it easier for me and my neighbors to buy a first home while asking some of the richest people that have gotten richer than ever before during the pandemic richer than ever before during the pandemic. And they can't pay a little bit more in the grand scheme of things in order to provide seniors with a dignified home. I mean, th this is really the heart and the substance of this administration. It's about investing in people. It's about making sure that we have a city hall that works for working people, that doesn't stomp on them. Let me tell you something, Ben, we had a lot of meetings with a lot of different fancy lobbyists to represent some of these rich people downtown. And you know what they came to us? They said, instead of raising the real estate transfer tax, how about you look at some more regressive taxes? Here's a whole list of all these regressive taxes. I mean, it was insanity. I'm, I'm sitting in this meeting thinking, are these people serious right now? But the, the sad reality is that they are serious because that's how it's always been. It's always been go to the little guy, ask him to give more money because we refuse to pay our fair share of taxes. And we've got the lobbyists and we got the campaign checkbooks in order to uh, buy what we would like to see at City Hall. So it definitely is a new day at City Hall. This is a City Hall for middle and working class families. Um, and let me tell you, a lot of these, these rich lobbyists, they don't know what the hell hit them. They're like, what the hell? It's like, yeah, yeah, the mayor's a middle class guy and he's sticking up for middle and working class people. All right, and so that's why I expect it to be 50 to nothing to put this on the ballot. And let the people decide. 50 to nothing. Come on, Raylo. Come on, Anthony Beal. You guys can do it. Let's go. <laughs> 50, you know, you, you could say, I'm going to let the voters do it. I disagree with this tax, but I want the voters to have a choice. 
All right, let's move on. Uh, these two next issues are sort of connected. A shout out to all the woman, Rosanna Rodriguez, who was on the show last week, dear friend of the show, and dear friend of uh, Carlos as well, and Treatment tra- Not Trauma. And then... Uh, wait, wait, wait. Don't demote me, Ben. She's my work wife, okay? Okay. <laughs> work wife and good friend. So just, let's get that right. Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> I, I'm on the verge of coughing at all times. You know what? One of my colleagues came to me. I will not name his name. But he's new to council and he said, Rosanna's going to be my work wife. And, wow. you know, I mean, drama. Isn't drama in city like when you have more than one wife, I don't know, or more than one husband? It's, it's, I forget what it's called. Polygamy. Uh, all right. So, um, uh, and Rosanna has been championing the concept of treatment, not trauma, for as long as I've known her, uh, which eight years or so. Uh, and um, there has been resistance on this front uh, in City Hall up until now. Uh, and one of the chief uh, leaders of the resistance, if you will, was uh, Dr. Allison Arwadi, who was the, the uh, commissioner of the Department of Health. She was fired. She was fired about a week ago. I was out of town when it happened. Uh, and man, because I was not in town when Arwadi happened. I was in Michigan, lying on a beach, stretched out, flaked out. But I heard the chorus of sobbing coming up from the, the <laughs> south of me. Oh, oh, you, you'd think, you'd think, you, there were more people upset about Arwadi getting fired than Martin Luther King getting hit in the head with a rock in 1960. This city is crazy, man. Sorry. It would be like, this is the greatest commissioner of health i wanted to give him a trivia question can you name one other commissioner of health name one other commissioner of health for some reason like when a lefty does something <laughs> it fires somebody they love that person you know what i mean i remember when the harold fired breezak oh god breezak what a wonderful guy yeah uh, so your thoughts, uh, we'll connect the treatment, not trauma to Allison Awadi. Uh, I mean, we'll go to treatment, not trauma in a second. Your yeah, thoughts. I mean, I think, I think for some level setting, if you are the head of a department, uh, you're a commissioner, you serve at the pleasure of the mayor. You are either in with the mayor or you're out with the mayor. And the same stands for anyone that has a cabinet level position for any executive, big or small. If you are a secretary of a department working under a governor, you know you work at the pleasure of the governor and you are there as long as the governor wants you to be. If you are the secretary of state, you work at the pleasure of the president and you are there as long as the president wants you to be. It is wholly inappropriate for a mayoral appointee who has to be in sync with the mayor to try and engage in a public campaign to force the mayor to keep them. When the mayor already said on the campaign trail, hey, I'm going to replace her when I come in. And two, when you got there, he told you you got 90 days. And what did your colleagues do? They were told you got 90 days. At the end of those 90 days, we'll reassess and figure out where we want to go from there. Commissioner Biagi, a rock star. She went and lined herself another job. Commissioner Marissa Navarro of uh, Department of Housing. What did she do? She went and lined up another job for herself. All these other commissioners went out and lined up other jobs for themselves. But it's just Allison Arwadi who decides, no, you're taking me out of this chair, uh, you know, over my, I'm, I'll be dead before you take me out of here. And then she starts lobbying, engaging in all of this inappropriate behavior. Um, she actually then gets her handpicked health board to send a letter, which is really just a press release. And I think that was the final nail in the coffin, right? It's like, She's not aligned with our values. The mayor said from the get-go he was going to replace her. Any other normal person would have said, you know what? My time here is done. Let me reach out. Let me figure out what my next move is. I know I've got 90 days to do that. No, instead, she was going to keep that job uh, no matter what. And that's just highly inappropriate. You know, you have to have someone that's the head of a department uh, that aligns with you, that's going to work in lockstep with you. That's like, imagine me telling my chief of staff, hey, you got 90 days. You know, uh, I, I don't think we're going to be compatible, be able to work anymore. And then she starts lobbying to keep her job. How the hell am I supposed to keep that person as my chief of staff when they're, it's just, it's completely bonkers. And the fact that the media over glosses over this, Ben, 
you've covered politics for a very long time. Have you ever known of a uh, secretary under the president, a cabinet level position, lobbying publicly to try and get the president to keep them there? Have you ever seen that at the state level? Have you ever seen that heck in the city of Chicago? No, it's highly inappropriate. Um, and so it was just a lot of, it was bonkers. It was totally bananas. A lot of the coverage there was totally unhinged, but I think that was my biggest gripe is, you know, no department head has ever engaged in that type of behavior. It's wholly inappropriate. He said on the campaign show, he was going to get rid of her. And by the way, he had really good reasons as to why he was going to get rid of her. She is a neoliberal through and through. She does not believe that the city of Chicago should be in the business of providing direct services to the people. She believes that the Department of Health is there to pass through funds to private entities. At the height of the pandemic, when I reached out to her, when, the, when COVID was tearing through the 60639 zip code, some of the most uh, you know, poorest communities that I represent. And uh, you know, this was like three weeks after the lockdown had started. And I said, Commissioner, what is the city doing to address the spread of COVID? What are the reasons why? that this is happening in my community, my working class, poor uh, Latino community, and what is the city doing about it? And you know what she told me at that point in time? She said, uh, your residents should reach out to their primary care physician for testing and for treatment if they believe they've been exposed to COVID or have symptoms. My working poor undocumented residents are gonna go to their non-existent uh, uh, primary care physician that they can't afford? Um, she had to be brought kicking and screaming uh, to uh, a place where the Chicago Department of Public Health was actually leading on COVID and delivering uh, vaccinations and delivering treatment. Uh, it was really uh, Governor Pritzker and his uh, head of the health department that really were setting the tone. Um, and I think Alison Arwadi, uh, you know, really got credit for a lot of things that ultimately uh, she either was not in favor of early on or Remember when she closed the beaches and opened up the bars when all the research showed that it was internal, uh, you know, events that were really leading to the spread of COVID. So I'm glad to see her go. The coverage was ridiculous. And it looks like you got a thought on your mind around this. All right. Yes. So push back a little bit and I'll give, uh, give you what I, uh, the response I gave Rosanna and see what your response is. I got a feeling it's going to be similar. Um, I do not believe in any of those decisions uh, that you just cited, and you're absolutely correct in all of them, uh, that she was the driving force. She served at the behest of the mayor. She was happy to be there acting like she was the driving force. Lori would be like, our commissioner of public health supports this. And then she'd be there wearing a Halloween costume. Absolutely. So, Lori, this uh, is good. Yes. So, and so as I told Rosanna, yeah, she'll just flip. So, you know, if, if the mayor flips and you have a new mayor, a lefty mayor or progressive, whatever you guys call yourselves these days, uh, she'll be a lefty. And so you know, all, all of a sudden, she'll be like, you know what? I read this book last night about mental health. No, I saw the bear. That's what I saw. Episode six of season two of the bear. The guy has freaks out because his family is insane and he needs mental health treatment. And now realize we need mental health treatment in Chicago. All of a sudden, because she saw the bear, she'll reverse herself because there's a new mayor saying he's going to reopen the clinics. So I said to Rosanna, if she's just a political animal, if she's just going to do whatever the mayor says, why not just keep her in office? So she was a neoliberal yesterday, whatever she was, when Mayor Lori Lightfoot was calling the shots. Now she'll be a lefty. She'll be Bernie Sanders. What do you care it's, if she's just going to be a puppet of the mayor? And then Rosanna had a response. And I'm curious what your response is. Go. So, one, she, I think, really believed, like, the neoliberal approach to public health, right? That the point of the city's public health campaign is to put up posters. Uh, that, you know, tell people what they should and should not do. And then we give money to private entities. Um, she didn't see a role uh, for the public sector in creating a social safety net. And I truly believe that she believed that in her heart and soul, because I've had many conversations with her over many years. And this goes back to when she was a deputy commissioner at the department 
And she defended the closure of the public mental health clinics. And she continued to defend that. And she not only was repeating the neoliberal talking points about how people just need to rely on this privatized medical system and how everyone just needs to go get a, uh, you know, primary care physician. Absolutely. Everyone should go get a primary care physician. But I need you to understand the barriers that people face to getting a primary care physician and why that will not always be the best solution at a given point in time to provide people with the health care that they need. So she was totally opposed to creating a public safety network. So, so yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like, sure, she's a good soldier and she'll come around and she'll say what the mayor needs her to do. Um, but, I, but I do think that in her case, it was very clear that she really did believe this at her core. And it was going to be a constant struggle and a constant fight to get her to implement the types of progressive policies that would get the Department of Public Health back into the business of being a social safety net for the people of the city of Chicago and catching people that, you know, might not otherwise be receiving the care that they need in other places. Um, but two, she engaged in an inappropriate lobbying campaign to keep her job, which is nuts. I'm sorry, other president, what other executive, what other governor, what other mayor would we say, yeah, you know what? You've been cornered. You've been triangulated. You got to keep that person out because they're just so great. And they're, you know what? They're better than you. Actually, she won the election. I don't know if you missed that, but her name was on the ballot. Um, and everyone at the Tribune editorial board voted for her. And so now you can't touch her. She's untouchable. She's the most powerful person in the city of Chicago. It's insane, Beth. Come on. I'm sorry. The moment she went and got her handpicked health board, send a letter, and sure, we call it a letter, but we all know that's a freaking press release. And they send that to the freaking press and they say, Alison Armadi must be kept because she is the best person in the world. That's the moment she's got to go. Yeah. And she knew that she was going to go. So and this is just madness. It's lunacy. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, that was a great riff. Uh, and you sound a lot like a dear friend, Mick Dumkey. He gave me the same riff when I uh, talked to him the other day on the phone. Love you, Mick. Uh, you and Carlos are like reading the same lines. Um, I, before we leave, I have to take the moment to say one more time at that press conference, classic press conference. I missed it again because I was lounging on a beach uh, or where Mayor Johnson is confronted by the press corps on the issue of th- why he didn't have a meeting or did he give her a meeting or what have you. And he quoted, he goes, well, I'll be the first mayor to quote Tupac. Uh, realize, realize, realize. Mayor Johnson, I'm going to tell you for the fourth time, I'm utterly obsessed with this. Tupac didn't say that. OK, Tupac did not say that. And it's so funny, me, the old guy, because not even in the hip hop. Carlos and I had a, what was that band we had a uh, dispute over? You liked them, I didn't. You asked me, like, do I like the chain smokers? Yeah. Or who else? You have, who was the other person? No, it was, I, I mean, I'm embarrassed that I said chain smokers. Yes. I don't no, even know what the alternative was. Oh, was my like, God. It was, it was like something from your time, Ben. Yes, you know? it was the old baby boomer guy. I admit it. <laughs> it was Stevie Wonder, okay, versus the chain smokers. I mean, like, God dang. Um, I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest. If I gotta pick between one of those two, I, I'd probably go to the chain smokers. But you know what? That was years ago. I'm much more sophisticated now. Now I'm probably Stevie Wonder. You better go with Stevie Wonder. (laughs) Jeanette Taylor's going to the other side. Uh, All right. Uh, So it was not Tupac Shakur. It was some uh, heavy metal band named Machine Head. I never heard him before, but somehow or other, it sounds like something Tupac. I'm fascinated by this. It sounds like something Tupac would say. So a lot of people think Tupac said it, but he never said it. At least I can't find no evidence. And Carlos I have spent a lot of time looking for this. Um, what was your crack when I told you this? If that's the worst thing he did, that's not bad. I mean, yeah, I mean that I think that is the that is the true scandal of this uh of this first four-year term for Mayor Brandon Johnson. I mean, quite honestly, this might be the scandal <laughs> of his entire political career. Tupac Gate is real. Um, you know, I honestly, I, I feel like there needs to be a deep dive and investigation. Um, and I know you're just the guy to do it. So I'm, I'm um, ready. I'm, re- I'm ready not for that job. With you. You're saying Tupac Amaru Shakur did not say it. Then uh, I guess, you know, that you're going to have to ask him about it at the promontory next week. Yes. Oh, I uh, don't wiggle. Don't try to wiggle out of it, Brandon Johnson. Uh, all right. Uh, treatment, not trauma. Uh, Rosanna, uh, big defender of reopening the mental health clinics. I think you'll agree with That's me. Right. She's one a socialist. Yeah, one of the worst decisions. 
Uh, one of the worst decisions of the 21st century was in the city council, and you cannot blame Carlos. He was not there in 2011, voted 50 to nothing, 50 to nothing, ladies and gentlemen, to close, um, to pass a budget, which, among other things, closed the mental health clinics, six mental health clinics. It has been a cause in Chicago. Everybody's losing their freaking minds. We need more mental health treatment, not less. Somehow or other, people around the city of Chicago say, oh, no, we actually have more, even though we have less. And they expect you to believe that. Uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson said uh, that he would reopen them. Uh, so how much closer are we to reopening the mental health clinics? You know, I think this is one of those things where, to your point earlier about why is the media criticizing this progressive mayor for not moving fast enough? And I think that the key element, which one, what? The Tribune is angry that the mayor is not moving fast enough. But to that point, I think what they're missing, and to my earlier point about understanding co-governance, collaborative governance, is that not only does the act of including more people at the table mean you got to take longer to have a longer conversation to make sure that everyone's moving in tandem and everyone understands and everyone's had their question answered, and everyone's had their opinion heard, and we've run through all the traps and we've thought through all the different possibilities. So not only does it take longer to do that exercise, but it also means that you're gonna to defer to your partners on the ground. And the, the people that have been doing the work, the people that are most impacted by this issue, that are now leading on this issue. So we have to remember that it was the, the mental health movement that fought against the closures of the public mental health clinics that then grew and evolved and expanded. And now we have the Collaborative for Community Wellness that's working with the mental health clinic, working with Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez. They are, have been the ones that have dreamt up the solution of treatment not trauma. Right. And so Mayor Johnson's commitment is to enact the progressive movement's agenda. And so that is why treatment of trauma is at the top of the list. And guess what? The moment the election was won, this administration went to their new health chair and said, how should we do this? And she said, let me go meet with the grassroots that have been working on this issue. And they came to the administration and they said, here is our proposal to phase it in. And did the mayor say, well, I need to look good in the first 100 days, so actually we're going to have to know. He said, you are the experts on this. You are the ones that have been working on this, and we're going to work with you to get it done. So we're working right now to stand up the treatment at trauma pilot, the really robust pilot that you know begins by creating 24-hour uh, crisis drop-in centers at our existing public mental health clinics that begins to you know bring people uh, together to have this uh, mental health uh, non-police first responder program. We're in the process of, of creating that. And that's the thing here is we're in the process of getting it right. How many mayors? And look, yes, Rom would have a press conference every week saying, I did this, I did that. It was all window dressing. Where's the lasting change? Where, where changing systems is difficult. It's extremely difficult. Creating new government programs, if you're really going to create something that's lasting and is going to stand the test of time, that takes a lot of work particularly in this neoliberal moment, right, where so many people have forgotten the fact that government can actually serve people and get things done. So it is a testament to Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez, to this administration, to this coalition, that they're saying, we're not just going to slap dash something together and, you know, and it's all like, it's like a Potemkin village, right? And it's like treatment of trauma and it's standing up and there's like bubble gum and tape holding it up and you can't see that. And then, you know, they move on to the next thing and the wind blows and it falls over. No, they're actually taking the time to create a program that is really going to transform people's lives for the better. And we're going to uh, see the first phase of that in this budget at the end of this year. And then next year, we're going to look at it and we're going to say, OK, now what does the next phase look like? And of course, we already have ideas of what that next phase looks like. But we're going to inform the second phase by the things we learned during the first phase because we're smart, because we're data driven, because we're serious about getting this right for the people of the city of Chicago. And by that fourth year. We're going to have it done and so we're going to have something. That, yeah, the, the clinics will be reopened in the second year. Is that what you're saying? So there will. My understanding, and again, Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez, she is the clear uh, champion and leader on this issue. My understanding is that we will begin to reopen mental health clinics, uh, you know, in, in the second year. Um, but we'll see. You know, things may change. We may be able to move a little bit quicker. We may have to move a little bit slower. But ultimately, the pace of this is being driven by the collaborative for community wellness. So that's what's so strange to me in this moment. It's like it's not like there's people protesting out of City Hall, progressives that have been fighting at the grassroots level that are saying, like, where are these issues? Where are they? No, because they're in City Hall figuring them out. And then instead, it's the corporate media being like, isn't this all happening super slow? And it's like, dude, 
the progressives, the ones that are working on this shit, that have been fighting for this shit, they're not saying this. And the reason they're not saying this is because they're in the building figuring it out, doing the actual hard work of governing and doing it with the grassroots. And that takes time, that takes work, but it's work worth doing because that's how you do it right and that's how you create lasting change and that's how you bring more people into government to have a more responsive government. Yeah. No, no, you're and you're absolutely I'm angry. Right. I'm angry. Yeah, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the contrast with Rom is uh, really well uh, put and uh, that's why I will always make fun of Mayor Brandon for sending out that text uh, because <laughs> he would have a, he would set on a price. Yeah, if a Subway sandwich shop came uh, opened uh, in downtown Chicago, he'd set on a press release uh, and then I would be reading about it attributing Crane. Subway sandwich shop, Rom announces like, everything in Chicago was like Rom did it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, they bought just like that when he came to Chicago and he talked about that building at the University of Chicago. Nobody could explain what it does. It's something with quantum physics. I'm reading all the articles about this PR stunt that Ron with the building in the University of Chicago. And I'm, everybody says the same thing. We don't know what goes on in the building. Maybe nothing goes on in the building. It was just some freaking building. No, but it's really important. Whatever it is that goes on in that building is really. That's how it was in the city of Chicago, ladies and gentlemen, for many years. Trust us. Whatever happens in that building that we can't even tell you what happens in the building because it's so complicated is really important. So, all right, it's a different day. Uh, we will be watching. I will be watching, uh, Carlos. And uh, that would be very interesting, uh, this budget. When is the budget? We'll close with this. The win, man, this will be, wow, this will be a test. For Mayor Brandon's first budget. So when does the budget get introduced, roughly? Well, and then I'll say this, this ties into the first 100 days. I think another accomplishment of this administration is that they front-ended the community input. So the mayor met with young people, the mayor went to the south side, the north side, the far northwest side um, throughout the summer months to hear from people, what would you like to see in this budget? Because when you actually have a real commitment to community input, you don't bake the pie and then go to the public and say, what would you like to see in the pie, right? And that's what every administration thus far has done. So I think an accomplishment of this administration is they front-ended that community input. Um, and so now the, the pie is being baked and uh, in October uh, is uh, when it'll come out of the oven and, you know, the, the aldermen will start digging in and figuring out, you know, what, what they'd like to see change. Um, and, uh, and the public will have that opportunity uh, to weigh in again as well. Um, but it's essentially the same timeline, um, you know, as, as pre previous, administ previous administrations will have budget hearings in October with a vote planned uh, for uh, November. Of course, uh, the city's fiscal year ends uh, at the end of this year. Um, so we do have to figure this out by uh, December 31st, uh, and we hope to have it done uh, well before then, uh, at least, you know, five uh, to six weeks uh, before we actually have to, you know, have it done. All right, um, you know, one, one thing I, I do want to mention is, is that this administration has been working diligently to move forward these important issues, right, both behind the scenes, which we've talked a little bit about, while at the same time doing it, you know, in the public eye, having hearings that brought people into City Hall, 200 people coming into City Hall for treatment of trauma, another 200 people coming in during the workday for the Bring Chicago Home hearing, right, having hearings that were never uh, able to be held before. But not only have we been doing that, this administration has also been responding to all the crises that have been occurring that no one planned for. This administration has stood up, and this is something that I think has gone underreported. And, and first Deputy Chief of Staff, Christina Pacioni-Zayas, who comes from our movement, deserves a lot of credit here. This administration has stood up one new migrant shelter every nine to 10 days during the first 100 days. That is a record setting pace. You know what it takes to open up a shelter? You gotta make sure that the space is safe. There's no asbestos. You gotta make sure that there's restroom facilities. You gotta make sure that there's cots. You gotta make sure that there's a place to safely prep and store food. Not every single facility that's a park district facility is equipped for that. Not every single facility in the city of Chicago can certainly be turned into a makeshift shelter. So for this government, for this municipality to stand up a migrant shelter every nine to 10 days during the first 100 days, a total of 10, Migrant shelters being opened up in the first 100 days, while we know that it's not enough, given the gravity and the severity of the crisis, they are working their damn hardest to make sure that, as the mayor said, that the full force of government is being felt in our communities to address the needs that we have. After the flooding occurred on the west side, the mayor was out there day after day for weeks at a time, brought in FEMA, 
brought in the Department of Streets and Sanitation. I mean, they were pulling services from the north side. They were pulling services from the loop to put a government response on the west side. In my eight years as alderman, I've never seen that once. So yeah. responding to those crises. But then also bringing in really good staff to make sure that we're well equipped to not just deal with the current crises, but to deal with uh, you know the things that are going to come down the line. We have a deputy mayor for labor, making sure that we have a cabinet level person dealing and thinking about the issue of workers' rights. This city has never once had that before. We have a deputy mayor for immigrant, migrant, and refugee rights, making sure that we have someone that comes from our movement that has the experience and background dealing to uh, with these crises. So. You know, a lot has happened in these first 100 days um, that really speak to this mayor's progressive values and that really reflect the type of responsive government that people would like to see. All right. Uh, I feel that we'll leave with this. Um, we didn't get to the police. That's all. We'll have to do that another time because we run out of time. It's, uh, I feel as though if I feel as though I've not heard the mayor say what you just said. And um, so again, I was uh, out of town last week, but I, when he, when the mayor went from one reporter to another and there were like 10 minute interviews that he gave with each. And I just like, you know, you need to get your message out there. And I, you got your message out. So I knew you would do it, Carlos, when I brought you on the show. I've known Brent for a long time. And I know he, you debated Brandon on stage at a show that I put together, if you recall. And he went on his own against you. Counterpunch. And, and I won. I'll just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but don't wow. mind. Don't mind. It was, uh, Carlos was uh, testifying on behalf of um, Bernie Sanders. And Brandon was testifying on behalf on Elizabeth Warren. And there was I was all going to be friendly and nice. And I can't remember who dropped the gloves. I mean, like, drop, drop the gloves first. Was it you when you went with the Pocahontas thing? Or was it him when he went with the fact that Bernie's a millionaire because he sold his book? All of a sudden, it was like, damn, <laughs> this is flying. I thought this was going to be a nice thing. It, it, was, it was probably me talking about how there is clear evidence that Elizabeth Warren lied about having American Indian ancestry. Yeah. That was probably you, because it was you. Now that I think about it, all right. Super problematic. I mean, it's Rachel Dolezal level behavior, but hey, I guess I have a whole other story. I could go on there. Don't get me started. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Brandon Johnson, take a page from the old Brandon Johnson who was on the stage of the hideout with uh, me and Carlos. I think Maya was there that day. That was before. That was after Make It Left. It was Maya, and you know, defend your record. You got a record. Hundred days. Don't limit them to ten minutes. Give the Greg Pratt's more time. Give the McDumkeys more time. They're not your enemies. They're good people. I know them well. Uh, they ask tough questions, but you can handle it because I've seen you handle it from Carlos Ramirez Rosa going toe to toe. All right, Carlos, any other points you want to make before I let you go? No, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, we are riding the ship at City Hall and we're doing it by working hand in hand with the people in our communities. And it has truly been really a, a blessing. It's been a lot of work, but I just feel so blessed to be able to be in this position. There have been so many moments where I'm, I'm in meetings at City Hall and I'm looking at the folks at the table and they're black and brown. And some of them got Ivy League educations. We won't hold that against them. Um, but so many of them came from our neighborhoods. Um, I'll borrow from our first deputy chief of staff, Christina Pacioni's eyes. She's like, we're just Chicago kids. And it's just so beautiful to see Chicago kids now all grown up coming together to do the best for their city. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I think that at the end of the day, the real change will come from the bottom up. And that's something that our mayor knows because he's an organizer, because he's created that lasting change in his previous prior roles. And now he's working as our organizer in chief uh, to create that lasting change. Um, so I'm honored to, to be able to play the role that I have. And I'm really excited um, that we're, you know, setting ourselves up for some really big wins because at the end of the day, Right. I, I think that there are some people in politics that get into politics because they like having the power. But I think that what this administration is, is clear about is that we're not just there to administer the status quo. We're there to shake up the status quo. We're there to right past wrongs and to get this right for the people of the city of Chicago. And I know that when we pass treatment on trauma, 
when the voters approve it, and when we come back and we raise that real estate transfer tax and start generating that money, we're going to help people. We're going to transform their lives for the better. And we will all be better off as a result of that. So I'm really happy uh, to be able to be in a position to work on these things. And I'm always just appreciative for you to let me come on and, and rant about crazy things. No, so, we have a lot of fun. And Carlos been coming on my show as long as I had a show. So um, it's been a while now. So, all right. Thank you very much, Carlos. Let's get back to your day. And good talking to you. All right. All right. You have a good day. That's the great Carlos Ramirez Rosa from the 35th Ward. Also want to thank producer Chris for doing an outstanding job as he always does. And I think Carlos and Brandon Johnson would agree when I say this. Hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise and take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and a whole lot more at chicagoreader.com. Follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram at Benny J Show. And like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show on all your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.